0: You know, I worry about AI being used um, to decide who gets um, a loan or is credit worthy in a financial institution. I worry about artificial intelligence being used in the employment practices context, who to hire, who to fire. Yep. Um, all of those very exciting, but could also be used to, to track and invade privacy or to make decisions that aren't based in um acceptable business reason, but unfortunately reflect uh, a a world that has so many uh, inequities still in it.
1: Welcome to Tech Insurance Leaders, the podcast that positions you at the forefront of the digital insurance landscape. Join me, Louisa Weix, as I interview chief claims officers, tech officers, claims directors, and other claims professionals about cutting edge insurance products, complex claims surrounding ad tech, artificial intelligence, data security, and more. Here, you'll gain the knowledge and guidance you need to thrive in the fast-paced world of modern insurance. Thanks for tuning in, and let's get started. Today, Michael Phillips joins us. He is the CFC U.S. Cyber Practice Leader. Michael Phillips, welcome to our show.
0: Thank you for having me, Lisa. It's It's a pleasure to be here with you.
1: Tell me a little bit about CFC and your role there.
0: So, CFC Underwriting. Uh, is a longtime pioneer in emerging risk and and a market leader in cyber, Uh, really uh, built in London, built and and bred in London over the last 25 years. And in the last three or four years, we have been scaling our U.S. infrastructure um, under the leadership of Shannon Grover. I lead the U.S. cyber practice, so our our underwriting and broker development teams in San Francisco and in New York. Uh, And I'm really laser focused on the U.S. marketplace. What do you consider CFC's strengths? Thank you for asking about CFC strengths. I'm, I'm very excited to be at CFC. Uh, it's been a longtime historical pioneer in insurance. We don't call ourselves an insurtech, but data science and technology has been at the heart of CFC since it was founded in 1999 as Click for Cover, um, a firm devoted to finding ways to deliver insurance digitally over the internet. Um, today, when I think about CFC's strengths, I really do think about subject matter expertise, um, nimble product innovation, especially in areas of emerging technologies, and our um, and our long-time track record um, as strong underwriters, but also as strong technology providers and service deliverers, uh, no more famous than, than in our proactive cyber services and our cyber response, uh, but across our business, we are looking for ways to leverage in-house technology to to uh, help uh, mitigate the risk of uh, of emerging uh, emerging technology.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I never think of CFC as an insure tech company, but when you hear the history, you can see that it really was at the forefront of that movement. I mean, I know it as a, as something more than cyber because it has such a background in technology underwriting. So I think of it as a technology, you know, having, you know, had very strong um, products focused on technology versus cyber. Um, Although, you know, cyber obviously is, you know, in the past, past few years, it has come on strong as a cyber
0: product as well. Well, um, flattery will get you everywhere with me, Lisa, and uh, let me return the favor by saying, you know, um, uh, as a lawyer for me and, and as a colleague, when we were both at an at a international law firm, I mean, you've been a mentor from, to me for a long time, and, uh, you know, I couldn't be happier to be on your show. Um, but for, but with CFC, you know, I, I think you're exactly right. We were early to the insight that uh, these internet-connected and computer-connected technologies were going to enable us to underwrite more accurately to provide risk management services across products, and uh, you know most prominently for CFC, that's our, of course our, our cyber services uh, that we correlate with our with our policy every day. But we have really focused on emerging risks and emerging risk classes across industries. So um, you know we've begun organizing our underwriting and product teams around uh, industry, not merely around the peril. Uh, so we're we're very proud to have a market leading fintech team that has a devoted blended product that really is tailor-made for fintech companies as an example. You know, the types of problem sets that uh, a stripe or a plaid has is different than what a Bank of America might have. And so um, you know we've we've convened a team focused exclusively on those fintech risks with a product set that really responds to their need. And that's just an example of the ways in which CFC, is really looking to the horizon uh, at some of these exciting emerging technologies and making sure that the, the, the downside risk is something that we're helping our clients uh, protect against.
1: Yeah, I think that really distinguishes CFC from the other specialty insurers, those tailored product offerings. Um, we've seen a lot of innovative insurance products that have been introduced. Uh, what do you think has been the most impactful of some of the new products that we're seeing out there?
0: sure so um i think i'd highlight two two things one is really just at the at its infancy it's it's just been born um uh, my head of innovation my colleague my head of innovation george Beatty. um he worked with lloyds to uh set up our innovation facility uh so we are in a position to trade on a uh, on the innovation code at lloyds to develop innovative products to solve some of these emerging risk issues. And so George is really an exciting guy. I'm sure I'll be introducing you to him after this conversation. He's working on, um, he's really looking at AI risk, which I'm excited to talk to you about. He's looking at risk related to um, the bioengineering tool CRISPR. And we are working on products, perhaps through the innovation facility at Lloyd's that CFC has founded to deliver products to respond to those risks. Um, but that is that is on the horizon for CFC, and we're very proud to have announced that innovation facility uh, earlier this year. Today, what I would highlight, I think, is one of our more impactful um, products is our uh, intellectual property suite of products. Um, you know, emerging technology companies, uh, their value, their enterprise value is no longer in the tangible assets of their factory or their warehouse, it really is the intangible assets, their, their trade secrets, their patents, their copyrights, um, their business processes that makes them unique. And so our IP team has really focused, laser focused on that and uh, the the value of intangible assets to make sure that we're offering robust uh, coverage for firms like that. I'm very proud of, to work with that team every day. Um, if I may, if I may, if you may indulge me one more, um, you know, one of the things I find most fascinating about cyber risk today is the question of how do you value the losses and how do you value the risk? Um, and one sliver of that conversation that's very important is the risk in the transaction. And when I mean a transaction, I, I mean uh, mergers, acquisitions, the buying of companies, the selling of companies. Um, in the last few years, we've seen many data breaches really arise out of in acquired companies, software vulnerabilities or yep. security failures, uh, and then having tremendous real market capitalization impact for the acquiring company, whether it's um, in the public trade in, in the public markets or in the private equity markets, seeing a, a business uh, an acquiring business absorb the, the the cyber risk of its acquired business. And so um, we've been building out in New York, our transactional liability team and the two of uh, our team on cyber and their team on track transactional. We're very keen to talk to brokers about how um, uh, acquiring companies and, aqu- and companies looking to be acquired have to think deeply about that intersection of their cyber risks and the risks uh, during the transaction, uh, the representations and warranties that the parties will make uh, to, to complete a sale. I think it's really interesting where, you know, uh, I'm no uh, economist, uh, as much as I may pretend from time to time. But we're looking forward to seeing a, ber- a boost of MA activity in the United States. And uh, and those clients, those potential clients, need a solution that's really innovative for them. And so that's uh, another one I'll add. I,
1: I had never thought of that before. You know, like I think a lot about sort of what, because I, I have an IP background, I do a lot of IP claims, usually kind of under the media cover of a cyber policy. But it's, as you know, that's not a great that that provides some coverage but it doesn't really fit for a lot of people's risks that they have in the ip space the transactional the the cyber risk of a transaction where that never you know you think about how they're going to merge their it systems and everything like that but you don't i never thought about the fact that they're bringing in this risk to their systems um and the need for cover for that risk it's very interesting yeah, you know.
0: And what I think is fascinating about it is it is a cybersecurity problem. So it's, you know, of course, it's potentially the, the melding of networks or how will we protect or answering the question of how will we protect all this valuable data and, and, and systems that we've acquired. Uh, but it's also the the market impact of it. What is it? What's the buying company value this company uh, at? Yeah. And what assets are they valuing it at? So it's this interesting intersection where we're really get, starting to get to the question of what's your data really worth? Yep, and and how much
1: risk is associated with that data, and how does that impact the value?
0: It's a it's a yeah it's a fascinating problem set, and you know really happy to have teams that are that are devoted to to thinking about it and looking for solutions.
1: Yeah, no, that's super interesting. Um, let's speaking of technology, let's move to how does CFC use technology to underwrite their cyber risks.
0: Sure. So, you know, when I think about how CFC underwrites its cyber risks using our technology, um, I think about maybe four things. So uh, that's my promise. And let's see if I fulfill it. You know, uh, the first is uh, we've been one of the early users of what are often called outside in vulnerability scans. Um, So it is true that, you know, using publicly available and open source tools, things like Shodan even, Uh, uh, a user is able to scan the sort of internet-facing infrastructure of of a company. And so CFC has developed its own technologies with respect to vulnerability scans. Um, What we think differentiates us might be not the vulnerability scans per se, but how we use them and the other technologies that we deploy um, and that input into our data science to deliver um, a superior product. To our clients and an easier transaction to our brokers. Um, so the first thing that comes to mind for me with respect to that is at the heart of our proactive, at the heart of our proactive cyber uh, services model um, is our use of cyber threat intelligence. So um, we actually are one of the largest consumers of of public and private cyber threat intelligence feeds in the world including from the UK's National Cybersecurity uh, Center uh, where we receive data feeds we interpret those they become uh, lessons both for our underwriting proactively and then uh, we we transform that into actionable advice for our uh, for our clients to make sure that they are thwarting attacks that otherwise shouldn't uh, shouldn't occur. You know, at the heart of every insurance contract, and you taught me this when we worked together uh, at at that international law firm, is the the promise to pay, Uh, the promise to pay the financial transfer of the risk when the bad thing happens. And at CFC, what we're really keen to develop in cyber in particular, but across other products where we can is a promise to protect or a promise to prevent, and 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 with our threat intelligence investments in uh, the technology based on, uh, uh, on threat intelligence, we're able to uh, thwart attacks that may otherwise be in progress. We're able to monitor the dark web, access brokers, and those those marketplaces where bad guys might be trading. Those initial intrusion points, which on their own are extraordinarily valuable, but also on their own, they can't bring down a network. There needs to be more. And so if we are as cutting edge in the way that we monitor that, translate those, um, those threats, and then, and then uh, provide uh, preventative service, uh, we think we, we, will, we will outperform. Um, but the last, the last one, so maybe I've only done three, maybe I've done three and <laughs> a half technologies that I'm very proud of, is CFC trading platforms and our creating technologies. So if we're really going to close the cyber protection gap, um, which McKinsey, the consultancy, measured at uh, in excess of $80 billion of financial risk that small businesses and medium-sized businesses are not able to transfer to cyber, uh, cyber markets today. If we're going to close that gap, um, we need to um, make it easier for our broker partners to... Deliver uh, the value proposition to their end client and make it easier for them to trade with their underwriter. And so, CFC, which started as Click for Cover, is uh, you know has invested heavily in our trading platforms and APIs uh, to make it easier to uh, to access our markets. So we call it CFC Connect, and a broker can uh, access us um, and receive automatic, instantaneous quoting on the vast majority of our of our small business uh, appetites. Um, and that enables them to streamline their work product because we need them out there talking to buyers, talking to potential buyers and convincing them of the value of a comprehensive and, and, and proactive, uh, cyber product, uh, which, we, which we're very excited about. So, you know, I think one thing that often gets left behind in the cyber conversation is how do we make the broker's job easier? Uh, how do we make their trans- tra- transacting simpler? And so CFC has invested heavily in that area as well.
1: Yeah, that is great. I mean I think as a small business owner <laughs> I will say that you know it is it is tough, you know, we our broker, I know we have a great broker, they work really hard trying to get us quotes and everything like that, but it is, you know, the the process is not easy for a small business and, you know, to the extent that that um gap can be closed, you know, the 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 techn- using technology to make it Streamlined is going to be a big service because we don't have a risk manager. We don't have someone who's in there, you know, being able to, you know, discuss everything. We just need quotes that we can compare and understand and and find, you know. So, um, okay. So, uh, what worries you, if anything? About insurers adopting technologies to assist and direct underwriting process
0: so I one hundred percent think that question is very important um, because there are technologies that on their own um, are not as compelling as I think some of our uh, some of our peers may think, and I'll start with uh, vulnerability scanning. To me, vulnerability scanning alone is not uh, a, a, of tremendous value to many clients. And that's because you're not truly tracking and translating the risk in, in a way that uh, that the buyer, that the business person, the business owner, the executive, or the broker can understand. And so uh, related to that is is what I'm seeing some firms using in addition to their vulnerability scanning which is an, essentially an automated scorecard um, or report risk report that has a fuel gauge on it that says oh you're <laughs> a, you're, you're a 71 out of 100 or, or not. And I really worry about the integrity of those in part because uh, many buyers will report to us that they're seeing, you know, eight different scorecards, eight different reports. Some of them will say that they're an A plus or a hundred out of hundred. The next one will say, you know, you're a D minus, you're about to fail, you're a forty nine out of fifty or out of hundred. And and the broker is not in a well placed to explain it because essentially they're 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 verging on sort of arbitrary uh, in the way in which these sort of quantification numbers represent the risk. And uh, you know, when I think about risk quantification, you know, I I, I think first and foremost. With claims data and with uh, the actuarial model, uh, the premium. You know that's how uh, that's how a CFO thinks about the capital uh, allocation. And when I think about the ch- types of challenges that a company may face, I think in terms of claims data. And so at CFC, we do two things that I think I'd really like to amplify here, um, and that I worry other firms are not are not doing as much. The first is having a human cybersecurity expert in the loop throughout the process, Um, because an automated technology like a vulnerability scan may identify something that is uh, a material risk to the business. But it may also identify a thousand other things that are not material It will misidentify IP addresses or the attack surface of of the company that it's meant to help. Um, It may identify vulnerabilities that don't have a known exploit or proof of exploitation in the marketplace. So it's like, well, no one's ever uh, uses this as a a tool. And and, and businesses are strapped and strained already uh, with trying to figure out how to manage uh, cyber risk. And in a world where the CBSS uh, scoring database, the Common Vulnerabilities and Exposure Database, Numbers in the hundreds of thousands of software vulnerabilities. It doesn't make sense to build tools, uh, that just automatically warn you a thousand times a day that out of the 600,000 vulnerabilities, you know, you've, you've, you've got to pass 388,000 of them. That's, that's a, right? And so at CFC, one of the things that we're very focused on is make sure that our human experts, our cyber threat analysis colleagues, our cybersecurity and incident response colleagues, are in a position to translate that into actionable bite-sized advice. And so we, that's how we deliver on that, uh, on that, on that commitment every day. I think I promised a second, I think I promised a second uh, um, technology uh, <laughs> sensitivity, but I'll, I'll stop with, I'll stop with one.
1: Yeah. I, well, that is a one. And it's one that I personally have experienced. We definitely have, we have three, three policies, cyber policies. It's a small tower and the the scan results are different for everyone every every one of the that we get um vary you know from from yellow to green to 100 to 70 you know a big difference and you know usually when we follow up on the identified you know reasons why we're not in the you know 100% solid they come back and say, oh, well, actually, that's not an issue. You know,
0: it's, don't uh yeah, yeah, I think you're exactly right. And this might be a bit arcane and for your, for your broker audience more than your underwriting or, or um, legal audiences. But the cyber market has had a lot of volatility in the last uh, X months, I'll say. And that volatility is reflected in um, radical discrepancies in, in proposed premium from different markets which suggests to a seasoned risk manager or broker that there's radically different views of the risk, which doesn't make a lot of sense, I don't think. And second, these, some of these risk reports or scorecards are producing radically different reports and scores back to the buyer. And so those two signals that the market could be giving to, to potential buyers to me is one that may lack integrity and may lack, you know, um, may force buyers into thinking, with skeptically about the value and sophistication of the products that we're delivering, and so um, while vulnerability vulnerability scanning has its place, um, it should be augmented by human cyber expertise that's that's delivering thoughtful and actionable advice. Um, because in the absence of that, I think we'll be setting ourselves back at, at precisely the time we want to close the the cyber protection gap.
1: No, I think that's right. And I, I, I definitely think the more times you have to go back to your insurer and say, okay, you identified this. You know, we don't understand this. We can't figure out what you're, oh, don't worry about it. That's not really an issue. You know, the, the more times you get that, it's kind of the boy called, you know, the boy who called Wolf. Um, and at some point, you stop responding to to the results because you've gone back every time you've investigated. It hasn't been a real threat. So um all right, let's move on to emerging technologies because that is what I find really interesting and exciting right now. um There are a number of emerging technologies I think you've mentioned two already a i and crispr um and they're you know impacting the insurance markets. What do you think are some of the emerging technology risks that you' are paying attention to right now?
0: Sure, so along with my tech team colleagues and and uh and our innovation facility colleagues. You know, I'm really laser focused right now on on, on what's called artificial intelligence or machine learning. Um, and, I, and I always want to start these conversations by talking about all the ways in which I'm loving it in my own life. Um, you know, chat GPT as a first draft to a uh, a basic business agenda or uh, mid-journey to create an image that could be on the cover of a report I give to Shannon Grober, my boss. You know, <laughs> like, those tools are really fun to play with. And I, and I, and I do play with them. All the time. Um, yeah, uh, me too. Yeah, <laughs> I love them. <laughs> yeah, now it's it's great and it's accessible to a broad public in a way that other um, buzzworthy emerging technologies in recent years haven't been. You know, the blockchain. I try to uh, you know uh, muck about in the blockchain. I um, I have a uh, a helium router in my apartment that uh, that um, it's, it provides low low distance uh, Wi-Fi uh, and mines cryptocurrency for me while it does it. And I barely know how it's working or if it's working. I think at one time I was uh, a crypto millionaire and now I have nothing, you know, but uh, that's a joke. That's a joke. But, you know, but 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 unlike crypt- uh, cryptocurrency and blockchain, which I think really has um, complex obstacles to widespread adoption, artificial intelligence technologies, um, are already being used and, and adopted widely. And businesses of every size are looking for opportunities to deploy more and more artificial intelligence into their process, into their business processes. And so that's super exciting to me because as we see the economies of the, of the advanced uh, uh, democracies uh, moving from tangible assets to intangible assets in the way they value uh companies and the way they value businesses, we're also seeing firms move from being uh, uh, manufacturing companies or service companies and trying to move into being tech companies. And so we see companies of all sizes and and stripes um, deploying uh, generative and artificial intelligence tools to streamline the way they do business, to create those first drafts and to synthesize vast quantities of data.
1: With these emerging technologies, what are the risks you're paying attention to right now?
0: I, when I think about, um, artificial intelligence risk, I'm really thinking about two types of risks. The first is the risks associated with the AI's performance. Um, so does it deliver as promised? Does it create the products as, as intended? Does it deliver the services? As intended, and you know you don't have to play with mid to give it a, to, to know that if you give AI an instruction now oftentimes you get bizarre and un, unexpected consequences and so thinking about artificial intelligence being deployed at scale you know the possibilities are endless for how um, how it could create unintended uh, outcomes from a business perspective you know one example of that that I think unfortunately we all have to do better on is um, AI often reflects back unconscious bias. And so, yep. um, you know, software engineers who um, may not be thinking critically about how they uh, code certain instruction sets in the matrix that ultimately generates the uh, the the artificial intelligence product or just the society we live in when AI is scanning vast swaths of data and 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 learning about the world, that it may reflect back those biases in ways that that are unacceptable. Um, You know, I worry about AI being used um, to decide who gets um, a loan or is credit worthy in a financial institution. I worry about artificial intelligence being used in the employment practices context, who to hire, who to fire. Um, all All of those very exciting, but could also be used to, to track and invade privacy or to make decisions that aren't based in um, acceptable business reason, but unfortunately reflect a, a world that has so many uh, inequities still in it. And so, uh, you know, that's those two things, basically raw performance and whether AI will deliver as intended and who shoulders the burden uh, of when it might fail. And then second, when it might fail for, for folks who need it not to fail Um, You know, are are we thinking about, you know, sort of the broader uh, community in which we live? You know, I'm I'm, I'm very motivated every day to be in the insurance industry, in part because of its social purpose. We're not just here to underwrite an individual risk or pay an individual claim. We're meant to identify risks, be sort of the tip of the spear where we figure out what bad things really could go wrong. And then how are we going to fix it? And if we can do that very well in the private sector and the private marketplace, Um, Yes, we could do well financially and hopefully maybe successful lawyers, brokers, underwriters, but we can also do well by our our communities. And so, you know, I I do think as AI races to the races to the next stage in companies of every stripe everywhere, um, you know, I want to be laser focused on that, too.
1: No, that makes sense. That's I think that is exactly right. And I love that proactiveness that proactive approach, not only to the risk, but also to the role of insurance uh, in society, because I think that the identification and minimization of risk is, you know, a particular service that insurance provides um, and allows companies to take risks that they couldn't otherwise, um, you know, t- they can engage in, in conduct that they wouldn't ordinarily been able to do because they couldn't. Um, that risk would have been, you know, overwhelming for them. So it is. Yeah, that I proactive think, approach is so important.
0: Yeah, and I'd be, I'd be curious um, what you think about which risks AI is likely to cause. So, uh, um, but I'll tee you up with a couple of th- further <laughs> thoughts. You know, the first is that our view, I think, uh, on AI is that it's going to be w- deployed so widely. So yeah. many industries are going to use it. That it makes more sense to think about it on an industry by industry basis and uh, in the different use cases than to think about it as uh, as just what can AI do and what can it not do. Um, you know, I, I think while we've reached a level of standardization perhaps in cyber because every business is running on computer systems and in an interconnected yeah. world, right now I think we need to, with the development of AI risk, we need to be thinking about how is it being deployed today and tomorrow. And what specific consequences uh, are there? Um, You know, the the second thing I'll I'll highlight, but again, I'm really curious um, what risks most frighten you about AI, um, (laughs) is the intellectual property rights uh, as well. You know, a number of these major tools in AI have been built on the backs of uh, historical intellectual property, whether that's copyright, trademark, um, or otherwise, I'm a big fan of that fake Drake song, you know, that sounds a lot like a great Drake song, a great Drake track, you know. Um, but I also worry about um, th- where that IP uh, value will be maintained and where it will be sort of eroded by AI. And so that has tremendous uh, economic consequences, again, in an age in which intangible assets are predominant.
1: Yeah, for me, I think one of the the sort of short term risks and issues uh, is going to be just the, the fact that people don't really understand it and so they don't use it in the way it should be used it's a phenomenal tool and and it's accessible so it's there you know people are going to be using it but when they're using it and not truly appreciating or understanding what it does they're going to use it in a way that that is inappropriate and gives them the wrong result so if you use chat gpt as a search engine to give you information you know, you're going to get bad results because it just makes shit up, right? <laughs> and I suppose we're going to have to edit that out uh, because it just what makes I mean. things up, right? So, so that's not the the right that's not the right use of it. It's a great creative tool. It's a great brainstorming tool. It's great at giving you ideas that you might not have thought about. But it's not going to give you an encyclopedia entry that is correct, right? So, if you're using it as a search engine. Mm, Maybe that's a, you know, a risk to me, that's a short term problem because as people start getting using it and becoming familiar with it, they'll be educated on how to use it and they'll be educated on the products and that risk will then be minimized. But, you know, the lawyers who who used it to write the brief and that made up cases and then they checked those cases by using it, you know, they they were using it the wrong way. And so I think that's a risk. Of people adopting the technology and not appreciating what it really does. Um, on the IP stuff, which you identified, super interested in that area. I, I do think that, that, that is going to be, to be an area that the courts and the regulators and the companies are going to have to grapple with because I think the way that, um, Copyright law applies. Everyone's, everyone's jumping for copyright law, but it doesn't really apply. Right. Because this is not, this is, you know, not using, it's not creating copyrights, copyright. It's not, it's not creating derivative products really. And so it's creating new things and, and those things are created by the prompts. So I I do think that that's an area that, that, um, the existing IP rights aren't a perfect fit for yeah. the Drake song. I think that there are state laws that would apply to that involving the right of publicity, and so those are vary by jurisdiction. And a lot of states don't even have those right of publicity state statutes. So maybe you're going to see a lot more of those type of statutes being passed at the state level, or you know, maybe at the maybe at the federal level. Maybe there's be you know litigation. Um, enough litigation that it becomes and dealt with at a federal level of, of recognizing that people's people's right of publicity and, uh, protecting that when it's used in AI.
0: Uh, well, I think that's, I think that's fascinating and, uh, I look forward to seeing what you do next on those exact problems, <laughs> you know, just, to, just to bring it back to, back to me, you know, but back to the insurance market. <laughs> No, you asked earlier. What do I worry about in the use of technology in the underwriting? And so, CFC has long been committed to, uh, and has made long investments in data science and machine learning. Um, and we we have some working groups working on some stuff with some of the new technologies that are that are out today. But it just you know, to me, it has to be amplifying the underwriter's decision making and the services that the underwriting firm is providing to the client, and not. A replacement for them. And I suppose, you know, this gets very quickly into the Terminator, uh, you know, <laughs> fears of, of uh, machines uh, taking over our work. But, you know, what I think is very exciting for people in our market and for young underwriters in cyber who um, are thinking about whether that's going to be the place where their career is. We need you there. And the technology is not going to. Um, Replace you, it's going to augment what you're going to do in the course of your career. I think it's, it continues to be never more exciting time to be in the commercial insurance market or in the specialty insurance market than today and tomorrow. Um, and AI is not your enemy. It's going to be your friend. And so we really are in a wonderful position in the insurance ecosystem. Uh, cause I think we're in a position to deploy these tools and not feel threatened by them. Uh, but I do worry also about, you know, um, businesses who are, who are saying, oh, well, I'll just use this instead of uh, instead of empowering my employees and, and so I hope that doesn't happen.
1: Oh yeah, I think it's a tremendous tool to recognize patterns. And then when you have an insurance company that has people that are proactive and are experts, they can take that tool, recognize the pattern and then educate their insurance, advise their insurance of hey, there's here's the pattern, you know, change this, do this, you know, and you can avoid that whatever risk has been identified through the AI um, programs. It's it's, you know, I mean, but that it's that it's that second component, the involvement of a person who can then give the advice where instead of just drawing a line saying, here's the risk, this is the pattern, you know, draw the line there and have a hard line that doesn't, you know, allow people to adjust to it. So what advice would you give to decision makers at companies thinking about adopting AI as part of their cybersecurity measures?
0: So I, I, when I think about what company decision makers should do with respect to deploying AI-related technology in their cybersecurity, the first thing I want to do is speak to different audiences. So in the small business space, the challenge continues to be having foundational level cybersecurity. So these are things like multi-factor authentication, uh, endpoint protection, offsite or encrypted backups that are you know available as a redundancy in case something bad happens. And none of those today require, you know, the most cutting edge artificial intelligence. And some of those are fairly uh, are very cost effective. And so it's it's very important to me, and it's part of our mission at CFC to service that small business segment um, by making it easier for them to reach a baseline level of cybersecurity uh, through our proactive services and, and our and our partners.
1: I want to add in a data retention policy. <laughs>
0: You're a natural. You're ready. You're ready to. you <laughs> ready to underwrite. But no, you're exactly right. Right. And none of those require artificial intelligence per se for a small business. But, you know, uh, I, I'm also fascinated by the decision makers and the decisions that a large company has to make, a multinational, a company with extraordinary value and secrets, like a defense contractor for the United States uh, and thinking about how they want to make sure that they are absolutely Protected, um, and the first thing I'd say there is, there's no such thing as absolute protection. Um, you know, and, and so there are so many companies in the cybersecurity landscape. You know, I think um, I'm very fond of, a, of an image that has uh, like every logo from the last RSA conference, and it's like thirty thousand companies, and, yeah. and that's who registered to attend at a, one cybersecurity conference in San Francisco. So imagine being. A senior executive at a small business or a large business, and thinking, which solutions do I need to protect myself? And do I need AI-based solutions to protect myself uh, in a world where you're never going to, you know, you could take RFPs all day long. You could get a phone call from every uh, security vendor. That's it. I think that there are a number of AI-based technologies that are really interesting, um, both in the firewalls space and in the endpoint protection space. That are um, augmenting what's what's historically been capable, you know. So just thinking about uh, this in, in maybe in, in layman's terms, you know, there's walls, you know, that prevent things from coming in. There's maybe there's security cameras that look at the things that have come in through those walls, and so some of the interesting AI tools that are um, in the market today um, really are sort of uh, adaptive and learning uh what to look at if you're a security camera and what kind of behaviors are worth zooming that camera in a little bit longer or maybe blinking a light on that or putting a spotlight on or flipping a switch and then with the walls with the firewalls you know knowing better what traffic should be rejected and what should be let into the network uh, and and in the other direction as well. What kind of expectations do we have of outbound traffic? So there are some really interesting AI tools in that, in those, in both of those spaces. I think that um, the, I'd be wary, that'd be my last piece of advice because again, AI is the buzzworthy buzzworthy technology today. And so there's a lot of pretenders out there as well. Yeah,
1: I think there are. And uh, that can, Give rise to a whole different level of a uh, um, whole different level of risk <laughs> the, you know representing that you're using a technology or not. but um, how about uh, what do you think is the biggest overlooked emerging risk the industry is not appreciating right now?
0: Well, that's a great question. If any <laughs> well, you know. I think the market has been, as a whole, I think we've been too slow to recognize the extraordinary opportunities in e-health or electronic or telehealth. Um, The American healthcare market in particular is this extraordinary monolith. There's so many companies. um, They're making so much money. It's a very profitable industry. It's, It's one of the largest industries in the United States, much larger than it is relatively against its peers in the UK or in Europe. And uh, so many of these companies are becoming telehealth companies or e-health companies. They're building apps. They are communicating. They're tying patients to doctors or patients to medicine or patients to services through platforms and technology. And I think uh, as a whole, the market has been slow to offer those companies uh, dedicated and sort of uh, tailor-made solutions. Um, at CFC, we have a dedicated e-health team, digital health team that focuses on providing comprehensive coverage for for businesses in every angle of the e-health ecosystem whether that's doctors and practitioners technology companies that are focused on e-health or healthcare institutions themselves and so um you know it's an exciting thing uh, as I get older I, I want to live longer and I'm and I'm trying to consume more health services and I and I'm still finding it fascinating the first time a doctor says to me oh well have you downloaded my app and that's where my uh yeah advice or you're going to track my metrics. I occasionally wear an Apple watch and you know, look forward to the day when I can relay all of that, <laughs> all of that information to a doctor and make that actionable for the doctor to treat me. Um, so eHealth to me is an area where the boom in the underlying industry has not been met with a similar boom in the insurance industry. But CFC is very proud to have developed uh, a product suite and an underwriting team devoted to that segment.
1: I think I think e-health has been game changing. This idea of remote, you know, providing remote medical services, you know, was always for the places that couldn't have a doctor. And now I think, you know, people realize that it's such a convenience for people just to have a telehealth visit for something minor or, you know, there's no reason to go into the doctor's office to take time off from work. You can just schedule a 15 minute and like, hey, I got this weird thing, you know, and they can tell you over the phone, you know, I mean, over the video of, you know, providing those medical advice. It's amazing. And it's, you know, no. people are going to keep doing it and they want to do it more. And they're they're that getting means- more they're being more proactive about their healthcare because it's easy. They've made it easy. So no,
0: I, I think I think you're exactly right. And it's exciting as a consumer of, of, of health services to think about. But it's also, you know, bless us we've survived through the pandemic. You know, we we got through it and it's done. Um, but what the pandemic one thing the pandemic did is it dragged the future forward. And now yeah. we know that there are some extraordinary possibilities, whether we're business people building the next generation of e-health and digital health companies, or whether we're a patient and we want easy to get, compelling, valuable healthcare delivered directly to us. Um, you know, I'm, I'm su- super excited about those opportunities for those businesses and and being able to relay a risk transfer mechanism that's really tailored for them.
1: Yeah, and it helps them identify, again, the, that role of insurance that can help them identify the risks and be proactive about addressing them. Um, you know, it's it's a, it's a win-win.
0: <laughs> I think so.
1: All right. Well, um, I think we're ready to wrap up, Michael. We've been going for a while here. So let me ask you a series of wrap-up questions. Okay. First up, if you could ask one question of 10 of your peers, what would it be?
0: I think if I could ask my peers, uh, 10 of my peers, one question. I would ask them what technology is most exciting to them. I'd want to know uh, what they're using in their day to day life as a, as a consumer or as a hobbyist. Um, I'd want to know which technologies are presenting issues to them at their, in their business um, or which opportunities are available to them. Um, I'd ask them what technology is, uh, is most exciting them right now.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great one, and especially for people in our field. Um, what do you recommend to anyone who wants to have a successful career in the tech insurance
0: industry? So I think three things: a willingness to learn, uh, a, a willingness to to grow with the community in which uh, in which insurance thrives, um, and uh, and a responsiveness to other people. So maybe those are maybe those are two and a half. But you know, <laughs> for, for young for young folks who might be considering uh, their field. You know, the specialty insurance industry, the tech ins- insurance community is a wonderful place to build a career. You don't need to have start with extraordinary technology expertise. You don't need to have gone to school just to focus on that. Uh, but you need to be willing to learn uh, in, a, in a world in which tech risks are changing every day. Some of them becoming much more severe, others becoming much more frequent. And um, you need to be ready to learn more, learn something every day. The second thing I highlighted, or the second and a half thing that I highlighted was being part of a community. And it continues to really um, uh, you know, invigorate me every day that the insurance industry is part of a broader risk ecosystem in which we're working with clients, with financial institutions, with public policymakers to make sure that we're identifying risks and helping solve problems for folks. And so uh, what I would advise folks to know is that the tech insurance space, it's a small ecosystem, it's a small community, and we're very much friendly with one another, (laughs) and we're in a position to build reputations over time through hard work, through responsiveness, and through striving for expertise. Uh, And so uh, for anyone who's looking to succeed in the tech insurance industry, and there are many more who have done uh, much more extraordinary things than I've done, but what, what I would say is, um, you know the willingness to learn and the and the and the willingness to be bound to a community of wonderful people who are similarly trying to solve problems that matter to people every day. Uh, and if that if you do that, then if you're interested in money, the money will come to you. But if you're if you're focused on on how you can uh, fulfill uh, a social purpose, I think uh, along with your your colleagues, you'll do all the better. And so uh, those would be my points of advice.
1: It's great advice. Great advice. I think. Um... It gets dead on. <laughs> Who should be our next podcast guest, and why?
0: Oh, Jesus! You really, really put me on the spot there.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. You know, um, all right. I've got two for you. Sorry. Two recommendations for you. Um, the first is Monica Shakrai at Google. Uh, Monica is a wonderful insurance leader and uh, former actuary uh, who is an employee at Google, uh, a very uh, prominent one. In fact, Uh, she is the uh, designer of many of Google's approaches to cyber risk. Um, And of course, she is really in an interesting place at the intersection of of cyber and technology and a very wonderful communicator, too. So I would 100 percent make her uh, uh, make her a recommendation.
1: She sounds perfect.
0: <laughs> if you wanted, I could make an introduction as well.
1: Oh, I uh, do want that.
0: <laughs> and second, um, all right, well, then that's, that will happen. Second um, is uh, um, Kelly Castriata of Markell. Uh, Kelly and I are old colleagues from a prior life, and um, we're both uh, recovering lawyers. And she's been, you know, really. Uh, She has had her eyes set on the horizon of emerging risk for a long, long time. So at Markel, I know she guides their cyber underwriting, but I know she's also very fond of um, looking to the future and thinking about what emerging risks might present similar scale problems uh, to uh, the risks that we face in the cyber market every day. So, you know, beyond the Internet, is it things like AI? Is it things like uh, biotechnology? Kelly is uh, is a. is um you know she has a vision for the future and has a lot to say. So I would recommend her.
1: Sounds great. I'm super interested in the biotech, along with AI. I am super interested in biotechnology. I think that is it's amazing the advances and what they're doing, um, especially with the custom tailorization of medicine. Um, you know, individualized, tailored for particular patients. It's cra- It's crazy what they can do now um okay you can directly address our audience anything that they can help you with
0: so i know you get uh, a wonderful audience across the risk ecosystem lawyers underwriters brokers claims experts incident responders um and so it's a privilege to get to speak to to any of them let alone a, a group as wide as that i think for me um what I would love to ask any anyone and everyone uh, who might watch this that would help me is the identification of of problems, and so um, that might be an emerging risk that we haven't talked about today, Lisa, you and me. Um, it might be a uh, an unmet challenge that businesses are facing that the specialty insurance market has not yet found a solution for. Um, it might be something altogether different. But you know what I love about the tech insurance space. Is that we're trying to solve new and hard problems every day. If it was an easy problem or an old problem, it probably wouldn't be any fun for me. Let alone whether it was uh, remunerative or uh, or unsolved. Um, and so, new and hard problems, I want to know about those. Uh, I want to be able to s- so I can work with my colleagues uh, to solve them. Um, you know, it's it's been wonderful to to uh, you know be part of a firm that's so focused on innovation and uh, emerging risks. And we really built the infrastructure to create innovative products, uh, but identifying the problems that need those products um, is probably the hardest part. It might be the hardest part. So I, I definitely could use any help. Help there. Yeah. If think-
1: you don't know it's broken, you don't know you don't know to fix it. So that's a that's a great answer, and uh, uh, appreciate that. All right, Michael, it's been great talking with you. I appreciate you coming on to this show so much. And uh, it's been really th- enjoyable to speak with you about all these things.
0: Lisa, as always, it's an honor to be with you today and, uh, and anything I can ever do to help out, I'll come on every episode. But uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity to speak to your audience and speak with you about emerging risks.
1: And that concludes this episode of the Tech Insurance Leaders podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's discussion. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. Join us next time as we continue to bring you the latest industry trends, expert insights, and strategies to navigate the ever-evolving world of insurance. Thank you for listening and until next time.